0: Welcome to Queer Longing, a podcast where we discuss and explore everything that we're longing for and living for in our queer community. I'm Olivia Taylor.
1: And I'm Lucy Cecil. So, Olivia, what's up? What's uh what's the 411? What's happening? <laughs> what's going on? Wasn't there a band called
0: 411? I feel like there was.
1: Some 411. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do. Yeah, that could be. I think there was 411, a band, like a boy band or something.
0: Yeah. That's one Yeah,
1: and then Oh my god imagine now mash up what are they called like dream bands whatever they're called I can't remember what they're called where they where like people come together dream groups of like mockbuster like right like a, like but, a super
0: a super group
1: super group that's the word thank you super group superfoods always forget um and uh this one would be some 41 and
0: 411 <laughs> that would be great and then ooh oh god I was thinking who could be in the super group with do you remember that link I sent you like last month of that band um next of kin
1: next of kin yeah so good absolutely
0: it... Hanson I suppose
1: yeah so like it could just be called like uh it could just be called next of kin because that that relates to Hanson as well <laughs>
0: yeah so, <laughs> makes sense and that's that on that and other than longing for the next super group lucy what else are you living and longing for this week
1: uh so i am living for this week um so Uh, I know I've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, Absolutely batshit, but can't stop watching television series Riverdale. It's back for another heart pounding, um, absolutely just full of insane storylines season, season five. But um, the first episode began with their sort of like the prom of the, uh, all the the kids who we've been following for the whole time. And I was absolutely living for the fact that the um, prom queens were well it wasn't the king and a queen it was the prom queens it was the lesbian couple of the series and it was just stunning to see and you love to see it and i mean if you watch riverdale you do know that it couldn't possibly be anybody else because the character Cheryl Blossom who is one of the uh lesbian pair would never have it any other way but still love to see it love the representation and it was just nice to see um two queens at a prom so that is what I am living for and I am longing for right this is a weird one because <laughs> I spent ages this afternoon trying to think of something to long for um <laughs> which is you know the way the way of the world and uh, so often I'll like look in my you know my calendar to see it, what's coming up I mean at the moment my calendar is very very blank um and actually this is one of the first years this is the first year in five or six years that I've not bought a big wall planner for the year because I didn't What's the point, the point. <laughs> and it, it just seemed weird because like my wall here does not have the big huge planner on it but um I truly, truly don't need a reminder that there's nothing going on. So um, yeah, but what I did find in my uh, phone calendar and it reminded me of um, is the fact that um, a while ago, last summer when I was at my parents' house, I found um, in an old drawer doing some like sorting out a a flashcard that simply said on it, February 7th, 10.20 p.m. That's all it said. That is all it said in, like, big marker, like I'd written big marker in Sharpie, Feb 7th, 10.20pm.
0: So what is this? The day of your reckoning? Like, what's going on?
1: Well, exactly. I have no idea what it relates to. It, it it must be, like, something in my past that happened maybe at that time or that I was supposed to do at a time. But it's written really large on this, like, flashcard. So... I am longing for this the first Feb 7th 10:20 p.m. post knowing about the the card and I'm hoping that at 10:20 p.m. I will be enlightened as to what the card was about surely something is coming to me
0: <laughs> I assume you've like checked your diary for this year and last year for like what that oh, was. No
1: but the thing is it was at my it was probably from like it's from any time ta- I've had these flashcards from like uh about four or five years ago so it's and it's any time post then no I've had them I might even have had them no I've had had them at uni I think so like it could be anything (laughs) and I am just desperate to know so I'm just longing for I feel like whatever happens Feb 7th 10 20 p.m this year I will have a moment to reflect on myself and what it possibly could have been or maybe i'll take that time to decide what i will long for by next february 7th 10:20 p.m. so yeah that is what i'm longing for
0: yeah maybe it can be your day of like introspection yeah <laughs> absolutely
1: which either begins or finishes exactly 10:20 p.m. who knows so yeah that is what I am living and longing for this week what are you living and longing for
0: well before we move on I just wanted to let you know I don't know if this is of any significance to you but some famous faces whose birthdays are also on February the 7th this could you know feed in so we have up first Ashton Kutcher oh (laughs) it all (laughs) makes sense now I mean it has to um oh um also very apropos off of the last couple of weeks, um, musician Garth Brooks. Oh, well, Garth. <laughs> okay. We've got Chris Rock. Oh, we've got Charles Dickens. And we also have, do you remember that guy who everyone called, like, the, the model, I don't know what they called him, but basically he was very aesthetically, like, attractive, but he was um arrested the mugshot model that's what they called him do you remember him oh, what's his name Jeremy Meeks
1: yes right yeah 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 yeah. I do know who you mean yeah 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 okay well
0: it's also his birthday on February 7th so stunning yeah okay. <laughs> there you go
1: great well my my day of reckoning is in is in grand company then so I'll uh I'll think on that when it comes to 10, 20 p.m.
0: What am I living and longing for? Well, Lucy, this week I am living for, so again, it's to do with TikToks. can't go out, so all I do is watch TikToks. But I'm absolutely just living for this account on TikTok called Sylvanian Dramas.
1: Uh, <laughs> I actually saw uh, some Sylvanian drama today on, a tic- on Instagram, actually.
0: That's because I sent it to the person that you saw it <laughs> on the Instagram of. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it all comes together. It all leads all roads lead back to you. <laughs>
0: yeah, to the main Sylvanian source. Um, <laughs> and so if you can't get from Sylvanian dramas what I'm talking about, it is like a stop motion um, like account where it's using Sylvanian families, which these little like toy animals, um, to create like soap opera level like style dramas. And it's usually like the soundtrack of like One Direction. So huh. it's just all of the best things ever. And it's actually really clever and it's very funny. So um, <laughs> sometimes when I've got a little gap in my day, I'll just head on over to Slovenian Dramas and um, avail myself of its of its bounty. So, a little on bus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've been um, enjoying that very much. And I am longing for, in terms of um, romanticising going out, hopefully on February the 7th next year, to a gay bar. And it's not just any old gay bar, Lucy. It is the gay bar. So absolute icon, skinny legend, and drag queen, Trixie Mattel, is now the new co-owner of Wisconsin's Oldest Gay Bar. So um, she has become the co-owner of This Is It, with an exclamation mark and you know how we love things with an exclamation mark and that opened all the way back in 1968 and it was um, the first gay bar that Trixie Mattel ever visited after turning 21 and she's helping it to stay open in the pandemic by becoming a co-owner so she's quoted as saying a lot of drag queens made this is it our happy hour moment before we had to put on the wig and go do the drag show Mattel told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. My relationship is such that sometimes I'll come from General Mitchell airport to the bar with my bags. It really is like cheers in Milwaukee. I met some of my lifelong best friends there. So I just think that is an example of somebody using their power and influence for good. And we love to see that. Definitely. um, That is
1: very, very hot on the list of the 10 million billion gay bars that we need to go to. Um, Also like just, great um, coincidence that it's in uh, Milwaukee a place I've always wanted to go so uh, perfect perfect let's go
0: (laughs) I'm so interested in Milwaukee because um, I think not only is she has she bought this or become a co-owner of this um, particular Gable, but she also bought quite a bit of property there recently and I just think that it's such a good thing to do to sort of reinvest in the town that you're from it's it's really nice and hopefully this is going to mean that places outside, I mean, obviously everywhere suffering now because of the pandemic, but pandemic notwithstanding, probably gay bars and clubs in bigger urban areas and metropolises um, would not have had the same footfall as maybe they did in the past or ever. So I think now it's going to like add an extra something to keep loads of people interested and want to go there. So I think that that's just great. That's just swell.
1: Yeah, we are here for it. Cannot wait to grace those those hallowed halls.
0: And don't you just miss going on holiday and then looking up what the gay bars are? Like, that's the best bit of a holiday.
1: Olivia, do do we have to do this? (laughs) I miss that
0: more than you know. I mean... You know, it's the same amount when, as you know. And you're just like sat on the sofa in the Airbnb. You've still Ugh. got like the the drink that you've had in your bag from the plane, and you just like pull it out of your oxite. You're just like having a little drink, and you just you've connected to the Wi-Fi, and you're just researching the gay bars for that night. That's just like the yeah. best feeling ever. The whole yeah. holiday right in front of you, the world at your feet.
1: Yeah, one one of you's doing the the gay bars, the other one's looking up where the nearest supermarket is so you can go get the beers in ASAP. Like, oh. What, what, what a time to be alive, if only we'd known. Yes, no, uh, very much uh, long for, for these days
0: to return to us. And off the back of that news about Trixie Mattel, um, I read an essay in Them um, called An Ode to Queer Spaces Lost During COVID and Those Were Fighting to Keep Alive. It's an article that was written a couple of months ago but it is a real reminder about how important these spaces are and how we need to fight to keep them open on the other side of the pandemic so i'll read an extract from it here while the city's bars were 18 plus and attempts at creating a lasting lgbtq plus center have proven quixotic mary's allowed a glimpse of what a happy successful life could look like as a queer adult When I split a giant plate of fries and a coffee with a friend who was willing to drive me the hour it took to get there, I would sneak a peek at the waiters who skipped to their own beat and the drag queens sharing a milkshake and hold in my heart that joy was achievable for me. It's a radical message for those of us who spent most of our childhoods believing that queerness is synonymous with misery. So um, I would... Definitely, employed implore you to go and read that article. It's just a real reminder of how important these spaces are and um, just how much I'm looking forward to going to every single one as soon as humanly possible.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's really important to remember that, like, you know, at this time, every, every sort of business is struggling, especially, you know, well, businesses that usually need footfall, et cetera. Um, and in particular, you know, queer run businesses and queer bars, et cetera. Um, can struggle the best of times so um it is really sort of worrying to think like what will be left at the end of this and like you only have to look at um the fact that um you know during the during the past year and stuff there's it i mean it's been quite a bit of like a internet sensation quite funny that like gay have you know uh gone to various lengths to keep open by like serving food and then like people making jokes about oh they're going to start serving like chicken nuggets from McDonald's which I think they would they did and you know and and yeah it's funny but actually uh, it sort of speaks to the fact that they you know they're desperately trying to 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 stay open in whatever way possible in order to keep afloat so that these places don't have to shut um for for good so yeah um I think it's important to remember that and to you know try and support spaces in any way you can Um, and I'm sure you know we will all be flocking to them once we are able and it's safe um and hopefully the boom will be real afterwards for all these stunning places
0: And another thing that's obviously been affected by the pandemic are award shows and award ceremonies. People who've been involved in them have said, obviously, it's, you know, always very nice to be nominated. But the whole kind of ceremony and ritual around award ceremonies doesn't exist in the same way. And um, obviously, looking to the future of art and creativity, it's a lot harder to do that now on the scale that we're used to. So um, that is an industry that's obviously massively suffering as well. But the Golden Globe nominees came out um, today. And it was very interesting because a lot of people across social media and media in general were talking about how the I May Destroy You um, creator Michaela Cole did not get a Golden Globe nomination. And um, everyone's describing that as a snub. So Vogue has written an article called I May Destroy You's Golden Globe snub raises a larger question. Whose stories are seen as universal? So an interesting bit that I wanted to uh, read from says... Of course, one award show cannot and should not cement a show's legacy, but Cole's snubbing by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is particularly tough to swallow when one recalls the fanfare with which Phoebe Waller Bridge's Fleabag was met at the same ceremony in 2020. It's facile to suggest that Fleabag and I May Destroy You are of a kind just because they both centre around far reaching stories about women, but it's difficult not to wonder whether Cole might be a better candidate for award season plaudits if story were just a little more well white or to put it in the coded language that hollywood execs favor a little more universal it goes on to talk about how one in six women are sexually assaulted actually um michaela cole's story and the way that it's depicted is actually a lot more universal than um maybe it's been positioned as and how that coded language is Just so insidious and damaging. And it also doesn't seem to match up with the fanfare that it was met with when it came out earlier last year. So it just seems to be really confusing that it's just so absent from everywhere. And I assume that BAFTA are going to massively make up for this and nominate it for absolutely everything. But still, I'm shocked that it's not included because when I think of entertainment from 2020 that was the standout event that everybody loved. So yeah, I think that the ideas around universality is particularly damaging and limiting and also just not true if that's the metric by which we're measuring what should be nominated and what should be successful which by the way I don't think it should be but it just doesn't make sense on any of those levels um I wondered what what you thought
1: yeah no um I mean yeah I I agree it was surprising that um it was not nominated for anything um I think that the the idea of universality being like the important thing in terms of television film etc is like just not the correct way to measure anything really anyway but even if you were there is a universality about that story that you know it did speak to so many people and like you say one in six women has uh, been a victim of you know sexual assault so um yeah I don't I don't really know what's gone on there I mean all I will say is that like often like I think you have to take award like noms with like a pinch of salt and especially when in the same section like the same sorry the same like reel of nominations for this year they have um, nominated as um for best performance by an actor in a motion picture musical or comedy James Corden in the prom so I mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had not I had not seen that
1: So that's all I'll say on that matter. Um, Maybe the judging panel need to get their minds in a bit, um, and yeah, they've missed a trick there definitely. And like I say, people are are talking about it. People are um, surprised and um, you know, like angry about it. And uh, it's not going to do any any favors when you fail to include the most like you know hashtag groundbreaking bit of television that there was in the past year. So
0: yeah, Yeah, and I think this. I think this argument around this idea of universality as a metric is a really interesting one and not just universality but relatability and I was well I watched all of the Martin Scorsese series with Fran Leibovitz this last year and this last week Pretend It's a City which I absolutely loved if you are looking to see New York in its height of absolute hustle and bustle with just Fran Leibovitz being her very much her unapologetic self the same person that she has always been since like 1960 when she first started sort of coming out as um, this well-known humorist in the sort of arts world of New York you'll see the same from her in this series and one of the things that she talks about which I thought was interesting in relation to the Michaela Cole idea was this idea of relatability and universality and she is obviously everybody knows a massive bookworm she has over ten thousand books in her own personal library and she describes herself as unemployed um even though she probably earns quite a lot of money from speaking gigs and these films and things and she like made wolf of wall street with martin scorsese so i really don't think she's unemployed but anyway um that's how she describes herself and she just says that like if she could do anything she would just be reading and um when she's been talking about books and this is a massive paraphrase but she says something along the lines of that she doesn't understand this need to um for a person to see themselves in literature and there's this whole idea in the zeitgeist that you know well I didn't see myself in this I didn't see myself in that therefore I can't relate to it and she's like I don't I don't read to see myself reflected back at myself, I read to step into new worlds and to have new experiences and to, um, you know, follow lives of people that I would not otherwise have known in places I never would have been. And I think, obviously, I know exactly what she's trying to say, but I also know what other people are trying to say in terms of, like, representation across um, media and across culture, of course. But I actually think that Fran is arguing for that rather than, um, rather than against it. But um, it just sort of made me think that, you know, what is universal? What is relatable? Um, and surely there was something that everybody could grab onto with both hands in I May Destroy You because it was just such a a, such a mind-altering and intense piece of art basically and I think to um deny it that in such a public way I know awards aren't everything but it just seems like a huge gap
1: yeah no it's interesting uh like uh yeah I agree with what you say but like isn't it interesting that like for for us and for a lot of people it's like can't believe that that's been snubbed as it were um but is that because it was so relatable to us and then is it the fact that people other people don't find it didn't find that in it and that's so that is so hard to believe um but i don't know if that's because um like it just what it spoke so hard to us and to a lot of people but maybe it didn't to others and that is really hard to 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 imagine um but uh, i mean I, I i i genuinely do think like what the hell why has it been missed I, I don't understand but um yeah no it's a it is an interesting one and um i think that you know yeah representation really matters in media um but um having to see yourself necessarily is not really the in my opinion the like the the main point of you know a a book a film a tv series whatever but i think that 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 maybe speaks to the difference between like universality and relatability in a sense because you can still you can read something about like i don't know a serial killer or something who's like you know something that's um yeah i mean that that, that's what the best like storytelling does is it, it 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 might not be specifically something that's universal to your experience but you can find relatable like content within it or qualities or or ways to understand the the characters or just like Um, a a
0: humanization aspect that you can get a foothold with or, or something yeah
1: or even like something that's when there's no humanization at all you can still really enjoy it um uh in in like in a way that is just exploring something different to you. I think that exploring something different to you is as as interesting and um, important as uh, seeing yourself in things. So um, yeah, I mean, and we're lucky that, 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 you know, things can exist in so many different ways and we are able to enjoy them or not enjoy them. Um, and yeah, but takeaway from all this, where are the awards for I May Destroy You? It deserves them all. <laughs>
0: So on to podcast recommendations now, um, I've started, um, well, it's not a brand new podcast because it's a podcast that I've listened to on and off for years, but it's a series within, um, within a podcast. So the podcast is, um, Reply All and, um, I don't know if you've listened to that before. Do you know what I'm going to talk about?
1: I listen to Reply All, like all the time, like all religiously.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, do you, do you know which one I'm going to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, it's the special episode, and it's the beginning of the mini series all about the rise and fall of Bon Appetit that happened um, over the summer of last year. And I thought it was really, really well done. I don't know how many episodes there are going to be, but I really recommend it. Um, I thought that there was a lot of new information there about more about how things came to be and the structures and hierarchies um, at Bon Appetit that existed before its um, downfall and a couple of years before everything kind of came to a head, how it was trying to sort of be rebranded in a bit of an inverted commas woke way but just um not delivering on that for many reasons and actually sparked the worst couple of years that it had before it inevitably fell down and how through that structure um racism was really just embedded into the bones of of the business and how um there was a power struggle to be seen and to be heard and people feeling, you know, for a very long time, um, undermined and marginalised and that coming out in lack of opportunities, lack of pay, hypocrisy. Um, and I think they've had over 40 contributors across Bon Appetit um, talking about it for this podcast which obviously makes it as legit as it's going to be including Adam Rappaport, who was um the previous editor-in-chief who um stood down from the position um when the image of him in brown face circulated on social media last year sparking um this whole the whole sort of dismantling of Bon Appetit as we knew it or you wouldn't know it I suppose but um I think it's a really interesting podcast and it gives you a bit more of um a rounded and what I perceive to be fair perspective on the events that took place last year so I'm really excited to listen to the other episodes.
1: Yeah absolutely when I saw the first one flash up today I was like oh okay interesting and then to hear that it was going to be more than just one episode like they were doing like a full-on um investigation and sort of like whole piece about it um few episodes i was uh yeah no really pleased to be able to uh listen to some really great like journalism that uh is getting to the core of what happened there um yeah no i'm very interested to listen to the rest of them good rec
0: and how about you anything new for this week
1: um so as uh Uh, Hopefully everybody knows it is both LGBT plus History Month and it is also Black History Month um, in February. So um, I thought it'd be a good time to try and listen to some, uh, find some more like queer history podcasts. So I started listening to a podcast called History is Gay, um, which... Uh, And the episode that I chose, uh, which I'm sure if anyone knows anything about me, they will not be surprised that I chose the one that is entitled Stealing Horses and Hearts, Trans Vagabonds of the West. (laughs) So this was a whole ep um, about the sort of historic context and specific individuals during the like uh, North American frontier time during, you know, the gold rush etc and featuring all sorts of amazing um trans and uh, non-gender conforming cowboys and cowgirls so uh, i absolutely can recommend that if you are into anything to do with the west which i am very much into uh, it's a fun look at um that time in history and about people who, um, you know, like completely lived their true identity at a time when it was hard to really even survive anyway. So um, yeah, I can definitely recommend that. And they do have loads of other episodes about all different people throughout history, specifically they, they sort of center more on women, trans and uh, non-binary people through history. So um, it's a really great podcast. Definitely give that a listen if you're interested in any of those things.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Anyone else that we would know or is it kind of about new people that you haven't heard of?
1: So they do like, um, there's some that you sort of may have heard of. So there's one about like uh, uh, Michelangelo. There's one about Anne Lister. But then there's also a bunch that like of people you've not really heard about. Or oh, they do episodes that are about like the history of ra- queer radio and tv all the way through time with like special guests and stuff so I think there's, there's loads of different stuff to learn which is always um good and I think it's you know it's important always to know our history and it's nice to learn about things that you maybe hadn't like considered before so um I would definitely recommend that um, but interestingly, in the way that you asked about, like, oh, is it about people we know or not? Um, I also just wanted to recommend, and I know I've recommended them a thousand times, but <laughs> on this week's episode of Fanta, they talk about... <laughs> They talk about Black History Month um, and they talk really well about the intersection of Black history uh, and queer history Ooh. and about how how a lot of, you know, the figures in bringing justice to Black people, uh, particularly in the US, are, were also queer people. So um, they talk really, really eloquently about that um, and they interestingly talked about how because it's fantastic, so they talk about things that they like about stuff and things that they don't like about stuff. So They were talking about how they don't really like about Black History Month and sort of LGBTQ plus History Month, etc. That like uh, it's it's classically people always wheel out the same five figures and are like, oh yes, remember um, Malcolm X and remember you know like Rosa Parks, etc. And like it's it does they don't people don't tend to do the work on actually continuing to learn the history of uh, Black people or in you know, in terms of or queer people as well. So, um, yeah, they, they just talk so well about things and they are so funny as well. They have such a genuine chemistry and connection that it's just like a delight to listen to. So I would definitely recommend listening to that if you want to learn more about the intersection of the two. And yeah, those are my podcast racks.
0: Great. And I think that is so true what they're saying about how, you know, it's the same five cultural figures that get trotted out every year and it's not to denigrate those figures in any way but obviously as we know um we're making new history every second of every day and history doesn't have to be from 100 years ago it could be from the last five years or you know i think it's important to keep it keep that updated and to always sort of keep keep learning as as much as we can and to be i suppose educating others and and passing that on so i think that's a really really valid point and it cuts both across lgbt history month and black history month um i suppose and anything that sort of is a retrospective or a a look back on um it's very easy to sort of like bringing out the same old christmas decorations it's like we need to be updating and innovating and looking back with new eyes. And also I think how we view history with the information that we have now to sort of recontextualize all of these things um, is, is so important. So that is actually going to be one of my goals for this month to try and learn a lot more than, than I already know. And to try and actively seek out people who have contributed to, our history in ways that um, that I don't know about yet. So I'll let you know how I get on.
1: Yes, very good. I also have a similar goal. So let we'll uh, at the end of the month we'll report back. Okay. Tell us tell everyone what we know so speaking of knowing your history and looking at it in context um we spoke about having watched the first episode of it's a sin um the new russell t davis outfit which has been on channel four um and we have now both watched the whole series so i thought it'd be a good time to do a little roundup of that so if you have not watched every episode or you want to watch it in the future and you don't want any spoilers then um turn off now or skip about i don't know 10 minutes <laughs> or something but uh, we there will probably be some spoilers in this so uh, beware that. So Olivia uh, what did you think as the series went on and uh, all five episodes were watched how did you feel about it?
0: Well in a sense I just feel completely speechless it was one of the best things I've watched just ever I just thought it was everything that it needed to be. It was funny, it was heartbreaking, it was nuanced, it honoured the, the history of these people in a way that was um, both honouring of community and fun and romance and sex, as well as it was about tragedy and disease and um, sorrow and collective grief. And I think that it managed to weave all of those things together so artfully and so sensitively. I think the performances from all of the cast were outstanding. I was particularly wowed by Ollie Alexander. I thought um, that he did a really great, I assume, debut performance. I haven't seen him in anything else, but I thought he was fantastic. I thought that... The depiction of his family was really interesting as well and it speaks to kind of it manages to show the cruelty of family and the fragmentation that can exist around um, families and queer identities but also what can exist at the same time is immense love and immense immense kind of Depth of of feeling that's, you know, hard to describe and is, you know, rooted in a lot of pain, but isn't kind of all completely bad and all completely good. The friendships were the the big thing that shone through um, for me and how these relationships in this moment in time for these characters, what they had for each other and what they felt for each other transcended any kind of like romance for me. Like I think it was actually one of the prevailing things was a huge celebration of of platonic love that, um, that all these friends have made me miss my friends so much um, at the moment. And, you know, just their stories and the senseless loss just affected me profoundly and I just cried and cried throughout the whole thing and I'm almost crying again now
1: (laughs) you're okay it's okay yeah it was a yeah it was a wonderful watch and a tough watch and it was all those things you have said and more it was um yeah the, the 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 prevailing um sort of uh line through of the importance of queer family uh platonic friendships platonic love was just depicted so perfectly um i also thought it was really clever in the way that um so for example uh big spoiler alert in episode the end of epi- at the end by the end of episode three uh colin who you have just sort of come to know and love uh dies uh after contracting hiv and then aids and i thought that that mirrored very Uh, succinctly the fact that for a lot of people living through the crisis at the time that is what it was like you would get to know somebody you would fall in love with them you would love them as a person and then they were gone um and I thought because I remember like it was end of episode three and I was like what he's he's dead already what and I was like I can't believe that but it's like no that that is what it was like yeah and he he did that on purpose yeah of course no exactly it's it's completely deliberate and I thought that was that was brilliant um really 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 well done um and heartbreaking uh yeah the whole thing was utterly heartbreaking um but very very good very very important bit of television and very very also full of joy and light and the balance between the two was done just really well and yeah uh uh, it, i just would urge anyone to watch it uh especially well not not no not not especially queer people but you know it any everyone it's important to know about uh what happened what didn't happen and what should have happened um and it is a really really big part of our history as queer people and our history as people um that how mismanaged the crisis was. Um, it's really important to know. Um, I also have noticed on social media and wanted to just point out um, I saw from the Terence Higgins Trust and various others that it's important to note that um the the you know um medicine science education on HIV AIDS is far different than how it was in the 80s obviously you know a lot of people know that but some people might not and it's important to know that um you know even now I think I read the um on uh, fr- an article from the Terence H- Higgins Trust, I think it was that um in a recent survey of people would still be nervous or to kiss somebody who is HIV positive uh, for fear of contracting HIV, which is not a way you can contract HIV at all. And it is important to note that now um, anyone who is HIV positive and on the right treatment can, they can confidently say, can have sex and not pass it on. So the, the, you know, leaps and bounds have been made. um, And it's still a very, very real crisis. It's still a very, very real thing that happens um, and is... Uh, part of our community and it's important to know about it also last week i think it was uh it was national hiv testing week um which is just a week of uh you know promoting getting a test done obviously you can do it at any time um i think if uh, i have had noted down here that if you go to startswithme.org.uk you can get a free test which is just a a at-home finger prick test and it is just important to um you know keep self-educated and aware of this ongoing like obviously it's not the same as it was but it's still a very real thing that exists in our community but yes it's a sin absolutely um stunning bit of television and uh yeah good job (laughs) i also just loved like the parts of it um that were, I know we've talked about this before, but like when they made like Manchester look like New York, which I just always love when they do things like that. I'm just like, oh, that's, I know what that is.
0: Well, I <laughs> loved it like when they made Gorilla look like heaven. That was my Yes,
1: Gorilla like heaven was so good as well. Yeah.
0: Um, um, and um, I think, you know, l- like you said, obviously it is important that queer people watch it, but it's important that everybody watches it. Um, I saw on LinkedIn, I think somebody who works in diversity and inclusion, possibly for channel 4 but i'm not sure was speaking about how it had like record numbers of of people coming to um watch it on 4od or whatever it's called now all 4 i think and um obviously that that negates any bias that has existed that you know people are fearful of commissioning diverse stories for mainstream or network tv because they feel like it's not going to get the numbers it's not going to get the interest and you only have to look at it as a sin how it's been just so universally affecting and has been cherished uh, by people that have watched it and um, I think you know people have been profoundly affected by it so I think that this idea again like we're talking about of you know needing to have our own exact identities reflected back to us of course you know for queer people it's going to take on a significance and a resonance that that's particular to maybe that that experience but you know for for everyone I mean um I watched the last episode of it's a sin with my mum who um lived through the AIDS crisis um in the 80s as someone who worked in a hospital and um she was one of two radiographers on their whole hospital ward who would x ray AIDS patients because there wasn't that level of understanding around the disease. People were scared, people wouldn't do it. And that's like something I'm really, really proud of her for doing. And, you know, I think that when people are governed by fear, it makes a really sort of difficult um, situation for everyone and I think that yeah that's that's something to look back on and know that you did the right thing um, but you know it kind of opened up this portal um, and memory for her in time of you know um, working with doctors and nurses every day them being a big part of each other's lives and then a week later they wouldn't be there and she'd find out they're on the AIDS ward and the week after that they were no longer there and you know people that she can still remember exactly what they wore and what color shirt they had on the last time she saw them and you know this for people watching um is going to it's going to hold some of that resonance for them it's going to hold some of those memories but also i think for Younger people watching so much time has passed that, you know, they might not have parents who lived through it. They might not have any kind of frame of reference from people who are immediately around them to tell them about what has happened. So I think that timing wise, it's a particularly interesting time for this show to exist and to be in people's homes. And also not least because of the time going past, but also because of the time that we are in. Um, Like you say, there's been um, leaps and bounds of progress in terms of how HIV is treated, but also I think the space that we're living in now, not to kind of directly compare the pandemic that we're in now to AIDS and HIV, but I think that maybe, it's hitting home for some people in a similar way. I think in the first couple of episodes, we see um, this culture of like fear and not understanding and having to be separate from the ones that we love and, and, you know, mass death to put it bluntly. So not the same things at all, but I just think that all of that context um, and just amazing writing and amazing acting has just contributed to, it's it's success and I think it's just going to have a really long legacy is an amazing piece of work and also um loved um Stephen Fry's cameo
1: <laughs> yes very uh yeah uh, very good and uh, I absolutely lived loved longed for when, um Roscoe Piston Margaret Thatcher's so, coffee sorry <laughs>
0: Yes, that was um, that a nice moment. And that leads me to um, my last point on It's a Sin. And I wanted to share this because um, Josh Willesey, um, who you can um, look up on Instagram, wrote a poem after. Um, so the caption says, I-, I wrote this poem a month ago today after reading a Russell T Davis interview in The Guardian about his writing process for It's a Sin. I felt overwhelmed with grief for those I never got the chance to meet and so I tried to write something to try and express that strange kind of loss. I recorded this the night I wrote it and then decided I wasn't going to share it because a I've been crying and looked to state and b I felt embarrassed as if the act of writing a fucking poem was self-indulgent but I've now decided that's ridiculous and that I should just put it out there as I think a lot of people have been feeling the same way I do so here it is. Sending all the love to my queer family, past, present and future, this history month and always. And I'm going to insert the poem now. Where would we be if you were still here? Defiant, free, older and queer. Would our culture and society look like something else completely without shame or stigma or heartbreak to be? We might be further along. Know where we're going because we can point to where we're from. And it feels like a scream in the wind. The souls that were lost. So focused on surviving. But can we just reflect on the cost? It's incalculable. It's a theft. I'm bereft and I'm so fucking angry. And I'll never forgive those that didn't give you dignity. But I'm giving it to you now. And I wish that you were here. Defiant. Free older and queer so um a really moving and um, beautiful poem by josh willesey to um describe i think how a lot of us felt after watching it's a sin
1: absolutely yeah really really
0: a uh, powerful piece of work and uh yeah really hit home so from poetry to lyrics lucy it's that time of the week again and it is time for track of the week what is your track of the week this week
1: So my track of the week has a bit of sadness um, linked to it. So uh, earlier this week, the pop music star and producer Sophie um, died in a tragic accident. Um, And she really uh, sort of shaped the future of pop music and really pushed its boundaries when she started producing and uh, making tracks herself, um, like just really if you've listened to any of her stuff you'll know that it's like really like highly synthy like full body electronic uh, pop tracks um and she did all that whilst being an absolutely stunning trans icon um and very open about her transness um which was um really you know and just is, is such an icon for a lot of people in the trans community and um um for just a lot of a lot of people. Um and you know, she was she was having a huge like impact and only I feel just coming into her like full prime of being able to really show the world what she had to give. You know, she had produced tracks for like Charlie xcx Madonna, Kim Petrus, all people we love. Um and also has some absolute bangers herself, um, and it is really, really tragic that she has died, and um, she will be very, very missed in the world of pop and just in the world in general. So, um, R.I.P. to Sophie, and I wanted to uh, her tribute to her by choosing one of her songs as my track of the week, um, and I sort of was like, oh, there are a bunch of good ones, but I had to go with. Um, my first like introduction to her which is her probably like most generic like most mainstream well-known track which is immaterial um which is just such a rousing pop bop all about like finding your body and having a great time um and it just reminds me of being out reminds me of being at um fatty acid they would usually play it um and it's just a really great um song and yeah um it's you know it's really sad that and tragic that she has died um but that's my little bit of a tribute to you Sophie um so yeah that's my track of the week so that is my track of the week what is yours Olivia?
0: That is a great recommendation I'll be listening to that after this my um track of the week this week is um one from earlier on last year and it is from the Live Lounge and it's Youngblood and Halsey um, performing cardigan um by taylor swift but also with a little bit of i'm with you by avril lavigne weaved in have you have you heard this I've, i have heard this yeah it's very good it's very good <laughs> um and i, I do think and yeah, i've said it once said it a thousand times avril lavigne is just underappreciated what uh, i mean i don't know if she wrote her own songs but the songs were amazing
1: yeah I mean I don't I don't know but yeah no Avril Lavigne very very underrated I when I was younger when Avril Lavigne was like first a thing I did not like Avril Lavigne but this is because I was like going through this stage of being like an absolute like weirdo about like women in music and just being like I don't know I had a real like I, I think I think I was like so jealous <laughs> that I couldn't stand <laughs> to listen to like Avril Lavigne who is basically ever who, who I wanted to be so <laughs> But yes, no, completely underappreciated, um, and deserves all the uh, all the accolades. Which you know, I think the you know the real people know about her. So she she lives on in all of us.
0: Yeah, but she's and, dead. Uh, <laughs> I also think that it's quite interesting in terms of like a pop vault in time when you watch the video I think it was during the time that Halsey and Youngblood were dating so there was a lot of like furtive glances so if you're interested in that then go and watch the video um but also congrats to Halsey because she just announced that she's
1: pregnant yes absolutely
0: (laughs) (laughs) so from pop mashups that we completely agree
1: with to things that we're not as okay with it's time for
0: i don't agree with it well unfortunately it's been all over the news again and it is about trans people and toilets we've been having discussions about this since i think 2016 or maybe earlier but it's back in the news this week um toilet facilities as we all know unfortunately is a key area where trans people non-binary people other gender diverse people face barriers to access there is a lot of difficulty and anxiety for people around using public toilets that are gendered about whether they're going to be stopped about whether they're going to be attacked for going into the perceived incorrect toilet and any number of acts of violence or discrimination that can that can fall from this. So toilets, um, as we know, designated male or female are not accommodating of non-binary people. So this is from Gendered Intelligence, which we found to be a really good resource on this. Um, and any space with limited privacy tends to be challenging for trans people. The LGBT in Britain trans report, Stonewall from 2017, showed that 48% of trans people don't feel comfortable using public toilets. Trans people are entitled to use the spaces that best accord with their gender identity and should be supported to do so in accordance with the Equality Act of 2010. It states in the call for evidence that women's toilets have been replaced by gender-neutral toilets. We'd like to see evidence to support this claim. It states in the call for evidence that women's toilets have been within a historical patriarchal context. Public toilets were originally created exclusively for men. We welcome this review to address the ratio of women toilets needed versus the number for men. There is no hierarchy when it comes to inclusion. It's a matter of support and access for all. We call for inclusive and available universal public toilets, which protect a person's privacy, thus provide access to safe facilities for all." By advocating for universal toilets, we mean purpose-built single floor to ceiling cubicle facilities that offer privacy and comfort for all. Inclusive universal toilets include sanitary bins and enough space for all situations, including for parents with children, people who need personal assistance and wheelchair accessibility. Washing basins could be in the cubicle or outside in a general space. Gender intelligence, like I said, is a great resource to go to for this, but there are lots of other good ones doing the rounds on social media and a lot of good ideas for how you can make your voice heard so you can submit a response to the call for evidence on toilet provision and the deadline for this has been extended to the 26th of February and there's a lot of information online about how you can write to your MP about how you can make your voices heard like helpful language that you can use and just really good resources online. If you if you Google it, you'll be able to find all the information there. We've shared quite a lot on our Instagram as well. And I think that I'm just feel so upset and confused why we're still in this position five years on.
1: Yeah, well, I think when we spoke about it last year or the year, I can't remember, we spoke about the fact that the consultation had come back basically... Being that saying that people were not um, were, were on board with gender-neutral toilets, and then the government were like, "Oh no, we're not having that." So they just like have opened up this inquiry into reviewing the 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 like and asking for further evidence, basically asking for people to give evidence against why everyone who did the consultation said that it was fine. <laughs> um, and that's what they've now done is they've extended this uh, review period because they obviously haven't had enough. Um, evidence to support what they want to be the case which isn't the case because people want gender neutral toilets so it's just a real slap in the face to queer communities from the government yet again Um, and it's very 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 frustrating but yeah there are loads of great resources out there like you said and highlighted and really good actions you can take to have everyone's voice be heard Um, and god I just... Uh, the 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 scape for a gender neutral toilet um future is so like idyllic to me the way it would be that I just cannot understand this hateful rhetoric against it so um yeah no uh there's uh it's very important that if you care about this um which hopefully you do that you add your voice to um the pile and um yeah the gendered intelligence and like we exist. Uh, offer like really great email templates which are really easy to use and just a note with them it's always good to like try and add some of your own language or they might uh, get sp- turned into or uh, treated as spam so uh if everyone just sends the exact same email um so yeah there's important actions to be done and yeah we absolutely do not agree with this continued attempt to silence uh alienate discriminate trans and non-binary people so before we go there's just one absolute hun we need to check in with um and find out what she's been up to this week it's time for
0: celine Celine watch
1: so olivia what has our lord and savior celine dion been up to or is there any interesting celine dion related news this week
0: Well, it's very much around what Celine Dion is up to, but not Celine Dion as you might know it. So we mentioned this, I think, around um, New Year. And we all know about the man who changed his name to Celine Dion by Deep Hole um, off the back of having a few too many Christmas beveraginos. So um, there's been an update. And the update is simply that he... um, Well, the man formerly known as Thomas Dodd, is refusing to change his name back. He's Celine Dion and he's here to stay.
1: Yeah, I I rate that to be honest. I I've completely like why 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 not just lean into it and I'm pleased that uh, he is and I hope and you know I wish Celine Dion a very healthy prosperous life.
0: Yes, emphasis on the profitable because um, he was invited on The Ellen Show recently and was given $10,000 to contribute towards his dream of becoming a paramedic, which is exciting for him. Imagine Celine Dion turning up at your house when, you know, you've had a fall or, you know, you need stitches there he is ready to stitch you back up and uh, sing my heart will go on to you as uh, he repairs you back to health. I mean, could you wish for anything more? Um, And he also said that he has been spotted in the local supermarket with people shouting Celine, Celine over to him as he's like coming up the escalator, which he said was um, a real moment in time for him. So um, yeah, I think that it's possibly the best decision he's ever made.
1: Absolutely. It sounds like um, the future is bright for Celine Dion and that's what we want to hear.
0: And um, speaking of best decisions you could ever make, um, why don't you start following us on social media? Because if you aren't, then you're missing out. We are at Queer Longing on Instagram and on Twitter. You can also send us an email, Queerlonging at gmail.com. We've got a couple of exciting episodes in the bag over the next couple of months. So make sure that you are sticking with us. And we will be loving you, leaving you, and longing for you until next week. Bye bye. Bye. Emphasis on the prosperous because he was invited to the Ellen show recently where he got $10,000 to go towards his dream of becoming a pandemic to go towards his dreams. <laughs> Paramedic um. <laughs> is what I meant to say.
1: Everyone dreams of becoming a pandemic these days. <laughs> 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 then you could be in everyone's homes. Yeah, at least we could go out more, God.